immune health begins in the mind. It's no secret that stress plagues our modern world. An average nine to five job basically guarantees you a steady amount of psychological stress throughout the day. We're constantly bombarded by notifications, expectations, emergencies, and stressful news headlines. The current state of the world has simply added fuel to the flame. In addition, if you've been watching any sort of news lately, you likely know where I'm going with this. Most sensationalized news headlines read something like this. New coronavirus strain, or it's not over, the second wave, or case numbers skyrocket, and my favorite, why you should worry about COVID-19. Meanwhile, alternative media articles have gotten totally bashed for headlines such as the importance of vitamin D in COVID-19 prevention and treatment, or how micronutrients support immune health, and what can you do to dramatically decrease risk of severe COVID-19 case? Spot the major differences? So where does that leave the average non-scientific citizen getting bombarded with these sensationalized mainstream headlines? In a state of perpetual fear and stress. The point is, bad news have gotten views, while good news have gotten either censored or labeled as dangerous. To be fair, I don't believe everything that has gotten censored has been only because the powers that be are suppressing information. Nah. I think some of the claims made by doctors who went viral weren't actually evidence-based, but I still think they should not have been censored. Science is advanced only by open discussion. That's a slippery slope. Remove expert opinions and you eliminate free thinking and problem solving. There were legitimate opinions that were diametrically opposite to the media narrative which were censored and heavily criticized. Dr. Knut Witkowski, biostatistician and epidemiologist with 20 plus years of experience. Dr. Zach Bush, triple board certified physician. Dr. Robert Malone, inventor of the mRNA vaccine technology. Dr. Brett Weinstein, evolutionary biologist. Dr. Sunil Dand, Dr. Peter McCullough, and countless other health professionals have gotten censored for their expert opinions. The YouTube and Twitter overlords of absolute truth deemed their expert opinions as medical misinformation. Simply because their views on the pandemic differed from quote unquote, the science, which the media considered to be the truth regarding lockdowns as well as preventative health measures. Regardless of the politics, let's talk about what fear is in a biological sense. Fear is a stress response, meaning it activates a sympathetic portion of the nervous system, which releases stress hormones. Our immune systems are sensitive to stress hormones such as cortisol. While short-term stress may enhance some part of the immune system and impair others, chronic stress is much more clear-cut. When stress is chronic, global immunosuppression occurs. To put it simply, when there's a lion chasing you, all energy goes to escaping that immediate threat. Fight or flight mode puts the digestive system, the parasympathetic nervous system, and the immune system on the back burner. In the modern world, that lion usually takes the form of a demanding boss or parent, screaming children, fear-laden news headlines, or negative thoughts. Specifically, chronic anxiety, fear, and stress have been shown to reduce white blood cell activation, increase lymphocyte death, downregulate genes involved with the immune response, lead to thymus involution, the hub of T-cell regulation, the thymus is an often forgotten organ. And involution refers to the atrophy of the thymus, leading to wimpy T-cell production, which leaves the immune system impaired. 
It also reduces B and T cell production. It increases the risk of depression, cardiovascular disease, autoimmune disease, and upper respiratory infections. And finally, it increases the inflammatory immune response. Basically, chronic stress is bad news if you want a robust and healthy immune system. The good news is, contrary to the mainstream news headlines, there is a lot you can do about it. Identify stressors. First, what I'd recommend is simply this. Identify stressors, determine what you can do about them, and identify what is in your control. Write them down, talk about them, but whatever you do, resist the urge to ignore them. Then, think about what you can do about them. Are they directly in your control, or are they in your environment? You may not be able to control the state of the world, but think about what is in your control. There might be a lot more than you think. You can improve your health starting today. You can further your skills and expert expertise in any field you want, thanks to online courses. You can choose to develop new habits. Hopefully, this book will help you with several of those. Breathe. Outside. We can live for days without food and water, but we can only live for minutes without air. Not surprisingly, breathing is one of the foundations of human life and health. Despite its absence from our conscious minds most of our lives, it is an important proxy for our health. The next time you're in a stressful situation, check your breathing. Is it shallow? Is there a longer inhale than exhale? Do you feel out of breath? When I feel stressed, anxious, or angry, I have found it helpful to focus on the breath. Doing so brings me back into self-awareness, allows me to reassess my state of being, and most importantly, allows me to change my emotional state. My favorite breathing techniques are as follows. Bastrika followed by Rachaka. These breathing techniques come from a practice called pranayama used in yoga. Bastrika is done by sitting upright and cross-legged on a mat or bed, forcefully inhaling through the nostrils and simply letting go of the breath when exhaling. Find the rhythm that works for you. Experiment with quick breathing and slower breathing. Start by doing 30 consecutive breaths. Do Rachaka right after, as it is the antithesis to the more stressful Bastrika. Rachaka activates the parasympathetic, arrest and digest, portion of the nervous system. Simply inhale through the nostrils effortlessly and extend the exhale as long as you can, lightly pursing your lips. 4, 7, 8 breathing. Inhale for 4 seconds, hold for 7, exhale for 8 seconds. This is great for reducing anxiety and stress. Box breathing. Breathe in for 4 seconds, hold for 4, exhale for 4, hold for 4, then repeat. Find the number which works best for you. 4 seconds is merely a suggestion. In addition to the mental benefits, nitric oxide is released, which improves blood flow, can lower blood pressure, and is antiviral when you do some of these breathing exercises. Make sure to breathe through your nose and not through the mouth to allow more nitric oxide to be released. While these breathing techniques will undoubtedly bring benefits, doing them outdoors brings a much more enhanced experience. While indoors you likely have some amount of dust, maybe some mold, built up air pollution, and definitely some toxic cleaning products, the outdoor has its own air fresheners, plants. However, there's yet another compelling reason to breathe in nature. Breathing in all of those viruses, bacteria, and plant compounds may have profound effects on health. In fact, 
there's yet another compelling reason to spend time in nature. A Japanese practice known as Shinrin-yoku, or forest bathing. Basically, taking a walk in a forest has unsurprisingly been shown to have remarkable effects on human health. Several studies have found increased activity of natural killer cells, our body's defense against tumors and virus-infected cells, as well as enhanced sleep as a result of spending time in nature. Many researchers believe this is partially due to the presence of phytoncides, chemicals which are excreted by trees and plants which exert powerful effects on our immune systems. Several of these studies were in people who spent days immersed in nature, so if you can go camping for that amount of time, go for it. If all you can do is take a hike every once in a while, do it. Just spend more time in nature. Meditate. I like to think of using our minds like lifting a weight. When you lift a weight, you're contracting a muscle. Some contraction is good, as it allows the muscle to break down. The first step in building muscle. However, if it is constantly contracted, there can be no repair, and therefore, no growth. Now, compare that to the constantly busy minds of the 21st century. Our minds are in a state of pretty much constant contraction, in other words, stress. What is the antidote? That's where meditation comes in. Here's how you get started. Start cross-legged on a mat or carpet. Bonus points if you meditate outdoors. Take a few deep breaths, Start from the top of your head and scan all the way down your body, relaxing any tension. Bring conscious awareness to the sensations such as heartbeat, digestion, and breathing. But don't try too hard. This is a critical piece of the exercise, refraining from trying too hard. Acknowledge thoughts and feelings. Busy lives lead to busy minds. Therefore, when you realize you're lost in your problems rather than simply being without expectations, Acknowledge them, feel the feeling, and let it go. Again, no forcing is required. Simply allow thoughts and emotions to come and go. View them from a third-person perspective without judgment. Practice makes progress. Don't expect to reach enlightenment in the first three minutes of meditating. An important note, be consistent. I can't express that enough. Even five minutes a day will be beneficial, as long as you are consistent. Set a goal for 31 days, 21 days, or even just seven days. Here's the most crucial information regarding meditation. Once you feel it start to work, do not stop. I've made that mistake countless times. I've consistently meditated for a few weeks and slowly start to feel better. Then I suddenly decide that it's not important enough to take five to 10 minutes out of my day. That is when the benefits stop. Consistency is key with meditation. Now, where's the evidence you might ask? Let me point you to a comprehensive review on mindfulness meditation. This review included 20 randomized control trials with more than 1,600 participants. Here's what the researchers found. Decreased NF-kappa-beta transcriptional activity. Now, NF-kappa-beta regulates pro-inflammatory genes. Lower activity means less of these genes are transcribed, which may lead to lower inflammation. Decreased CRP levels. C-reactive protein is a common biomarker used to measure inflammation in the body. Lower CRP corresponds to lower inflammation. Increased telomerase activity. Telomerase is an enzyme which helps maintain the integrity of telomeres, the caps on the ends of chromosomes. Why is that important? As chromosomes replicate, the telomeres wear down, which is why telomere length is associated with aging. A positive association exists between telomere length and longevity. 
though to be fair, in recent years, telomeres have become less relevant in predicting age. Downregulated HPA axis. The hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis is responsible for the activation of the stress response and maintaining proper levels of glucocorticoids, such as cortisol, the stress hormone. Dysregulation of the HPA axis occurs in times of chronic stress, anxiety, and panic disorders. Meditation has been shown to have a calming effect on the HPA axis, leading to balanced levels of stress hormones and thus can lead to lower anxiety. Light makes you high. In addition to all of the other directly immune-supporting benefits of sunlight, such as nitric oxide release and vitamin D, more on that in the next chapters, there's also an anti-stress component to simply lying in the sun. Standing in the sun with as much skin exposed as possible releases beta endorphins, our body's internal opioid. Similar to the molecules which create a runner's high, beta endorphins create a natural feeling of relaxation. In addition, I make sure to get outside in the sun as soon as I wake up, or at least look at very bright light. This is an important cue to the body that it's time to be awake, release certain hormones, and inhibit others. We're built to run on a 24-hour circadian cycle. Light is one of the crucial cues to our eyes and skin during the day, which sets your body up for a good night of sleep that night. Here's where common sense comes in. Think about what life was like before electricity and artificial lights. They're not trivial, and we still have these biological mechanisms hardwired into us from thousands of years ago. Food. Omega-3 fats have been shown time and time again to be anti-inflammatory, anti-anxiolytic, and antidepressive. I'd recommend getting them from food since many fish oil supplements are iffy at best. Here are the top ways I consume omega-3. Wild-caught salmon, wild-caught sardines, anchovies, and mackerel, hemp seeds, soaked flax, soaked chia seeds, and walnuts. I usually stick to small fish like sardines since they have the lowest amount of heavy metals and the highest omega-3 content. Staying away from chia and flax seeds might be a good idea if one has digestive issues. Fiber, contrary to popular belief, can actually cause bloating, constipation, and other uncomfortable digestive issues, as evidenced by several studies. Again, be aware of how you respond to certain foods. Bioindividuality is the name of the game. Next, let's talk about sugar. Most people know reducing sugar consumption may be the simplest, yet one of the most effective ways to improve metabolic health. However, they may be unaware of the link between highly refined carbohydrate consumption and mental health. Research has demonstrated brain activation similar to that which is present in substance abuse, demonstrating loss of impulse control and increase of stress-driven eating. In addition, poor blood sugar control, which arises from chronically high consumption of refined carbohydrates, is associated with anxiety-like behaviors. As you read this book, you'll probably see magnesium mentioned in almost every single chapter, for good reason. Around 20% of the U.S. population has a magnesium deficiency, with some estimates as high as 50% of the population. Some of the contributors to this epidemic are processed food consumption, chronic stress, and the quality of the soil. First, processing food strips it not only of magnesium, but also fiber, valuable minerals, and vitamins. It's estimated that about 80% of magnesium is lost during food processing. 
That's why you see refined flours fortified with synth synthetic vitamins and minerals. Next, magnesium has an important relationship to stress. Magnesium has been shown to have anti-stress effects. In fact, there seems to be an inverse relationship between stress and magnesium status. The more stress one has, the less magnesium is present. The directionality is not clear, however. Does one get stressed and lose magnesium, or does a magnesium deficiency lead to a stressed out person? Either way, magnesium seems to be important for mental health. Finally, in the past few decades, the soil has become depleted of minerals and vitamins such as iron, magnesium, and vitamin B12, just to name a few. Intensive modern agricultural practices such as tilling the soil, use of monocrops, pesticide use, and increase in global CO2 concentrations are largely to blame. In fact, a 2012 study estimates that the amount of magnesium in North American wheat has decreased by 27%. Therefore, due to magnesium's absence from the conventional diet, many people may benefit from supplementation. As with every supplement, diet, or lifestyle change, the response is based on the individual. Check with your physician to see how something like magnesium could interact with a medication or health condition. If you want to find out more about specific forms of magnesium, check out my resources page at livedamwell.com resources for more. Reduce coffee consumption. First, there's the issue of mycotoxins. These compounds are formed by mold and are present in many coffee brands, despite them being organic or non-GMO. While some sources say mycotoxins are not found in significant amounts, since we can filter them out through the liver, we need to take a step back and analyze that claim. Unless you live in a pristine grassland untouched by industry, mycotoxins are not the only toxin in your life. Alcohol, pesticides, herbicides, toxic chemicals in water, shampoo, and so on, all get filtered through the liver. Therefore, while mycotoxins may not be in themselves that problematic, they might be in a real-world setting. If you're not willing to give up on coffee, I'd recommend a brand third-party tested for pesticides, mycotoxins, and other contaminants. Next, coffee is a diuretic, basically meaning it makes you pee more. Why is that relevant? This means that every cup of coffee you guzzle depletes you of essential minerals, including magnesium. Also, caffeine in itself may result in subjective experiences of jitteriness and anxiety. It is a stimulant after all. How does that play into mental health and immune function? Caffeine increases the amount of cortisol, the stress hormone, and adrenaline involved in the fight or flight response in the body. Therefore, heavy coffee drinking, five plus cups a day, may be a detriment to both mental and immune health over time. However, there are clear benefits of moderate, high quality coffee consumption, ranging from increased longevity, and reduced oxidative stress to reduce risk of cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, and liver disease. Therefore, observe how your body and mind reacts and decide what's best for you. Vitamin C. As everyone probably knows by now, vitamin C is important for immune function. Interestingly, it's also an important component of our stress response. The adrenal glands are responsible for making sex hormones and stress hormones. It turns out that vitamin C is highly concentrated in the adrenal glands. It has been shown to decrease blood pressure, subjective experience of stressful events, and cortisol, one of the stress hormones. I personally use a whole food source of vitamin C, such as kamu kamu powder or acerola cherry powder, 
and take one dose in the morning and another at night, rather than one giant megadose. Gratitude. Gratitude has to be one of the most overlooked ways to improve quality of life across people of any socioeconomic status. Here's what the research shows about gratitude. Makes you get better at feeling gratitude. Improves subjective sleep quality. Reduces stress. Lowers depressed mood. Reduces fatigue and lowers inflammatory markers such as CRP, TNF, tumor necrosis factor, and interleukin-6, IL-6. Now, it can be strangely difficult to feel genuine gratitude at times, especially since we live in an era where we can open up our phones and instantly see people in their garage with their Lamborghini, for instance. Here's one trick I've picked up to really feel the feeling of gratitude. First thing in the morning, journal one or two things or people you're grateful for. Picture them clearly in your mind. Now, imagine what life would be like without them. Finally, give thanks again that they are still in your life. Laughing and loneliness. Mental and spiritual health is often neglected in the world of biohacking, nutrition, and fitness, but I'd argue it should actually be front and center. This is especially true when it comes to immune health. Here's one study where participants watch funny cat videos for an hour. Natural killer cells, a type of white blood cell which makes up the innate immune system, were found to significantly increase their activity. What does that mean? NK cells were better able to do their job, ruthlessly destroying tumor cells and cells infected with a pathogen. The most shocking part was, these effects were still noticeable 12 hours after watching videos of cats playing the piano. Okay, I actually don't know what videos they watched. Next, if you've read any popular media article on loneliness, you likely know it's bad news for our health. In most of these articles, loneliness is mainly mentioned as having an indirect negative effect on health. In other words, being lonely makes you more likely to do behaviors which are unhealthy, such as eating crappy foods and skipping exercise. While these indirect effects are without a doubt significant and harmful, some argue there are indeed direct effects of loneliness. It's no question that humans are social creatures. With, without our ability to engage with others positively, humans would never have survived ice ages, warring tribes, etc. In fact, social isolation and loneliness have been linked to heightened anxiety and depression, increased risk of cancer, cardiovascular disease, and greater susceptibility to infectious diseases. We are an inextricably interconnected system. If your mind is not healthy, optimal health is not possible. So make time for friends, phone calls, Zoom calls, stand-up comedy, and if you're into it, funny cat videos. Emphasize sleep. It's no surprise that stress causes poor sleep and poor sleep causes stress. Therefore, by following this chapter, sleep should improve. However, in addition to the mental aspects of proper sleep, there are also important physical components which can help you snooze your way to health. Read more about optimizing sleep in the following chapter. If you like this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes. It'd be really helpful to get this message out to way more people. Also, if you want to get the full book, just head over to Amazon, look up Return to Human, and get the book. It's only a few dollars. Thank you for listening, and see you in the next one.